Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. All right. Welcome to cyber, New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and today we have with us Mr. Samuel Hill. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Tim. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So Samuel Hill, he's a product marketing uh, director for Cilio. I say that again? Say it again? Nope. Yeah, yeah. Ciolo. Ciolo. Cilio. Cilio. Be, that's the best one I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Cilio. I love I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back with that one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Ciolo. Security. All right. That's cool. Yeah. So Sam, actually, can I call you Sam? I, I prefer Samuel. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. So Samuel, he, what does he do? You're specializing in critical device security, uh, resilient IT strategy and processes in integrity, right? You've got this background in an emergency room, which is interesting. We'll talk probably a little yep. bit about that. Uh, you have a, a, a master's degree in administration and uh, security or strategy leadership. Uh, and your passions here is helping organizations grow and protect uh, themselves effectively in industries such as manufacturing, banking, uh, financial services, insurance, and oil and gas. So anything you want to add to that, sir? No, it's just awesome. I mean, the cybersecurity community is such a wide range and so diverse and um, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Awesome. So, you know, we usually talk about subjects that are all cybersecurity in your company. Tell us a little bit about what your company does and what you do in a day-to-day basis and how does that fit in with your passions? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Ciolo Security. We're an Israeli-based cybersecurity startup and uh, we stop hackers from logging into your network. And we know the reality is that uh, it doesn't take much for bad guys to compromise credentials and then use them to just access your systems and uh, we find that there are typically scenarios where that user access could cause enormous damage to the business whether it's you know your manufacturing line or it's you know devops environments or key banking you know key regulated information stores we need to lock that down we need to stop it and we have an incredibly uh, simple and powerful tool to give uh, give some control back to security operators for those scenarios awesome so uh- so I guess, and you coined this phrase, right? High risk is a yeah. thing, right? So, so <laughs> I like that. Uh, it was catchy, so I decided to put that into the title here. So, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you know, with risk factors in uh, today's company and industry, they—I mean—it seems as though that uh, it, you hear it all over the news. The the media exploits, you know, another hacker's attack, another exploit yeah. for factors, and um, I, I don't know if how serious companies really take it. So in, in your company, um, with this high risk factor, um, you know, being applied, um, do you see trends in more uptake by corporations that you support uh, at this high risk factor? Yeah, you know, I look at it this way, like, it's such a unique combination of users, like risky users, and they could be all sorts of different types of users. They could be external contractors, they could be you know, uh, vendor technicians that are logging in to support your equipment. They could be your executives because they really have the world's worst cybersecurity practices at times. Whatever those risky users, whoever they are, they're accessing critical things that are significantly important to your business. And being able to kind of broker that connection and that access in a really secure and effective way 
is kind of where we see a lot of benefit. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of security operators that don't know that there are tools available to help them with some of their riskiest scenarios. And, you know, as a security leader, you know, like, there are things that you have to do because the business is really driving towards that or demanding that from you as a security leader. We have to connect these people. We have to connect the system there. You know, the, the classic was, hey, the world is shut down. Everybody's working from home. Now we have to connect them. Yeah, and there were a lot that. of things that were done that, you know, were maybe not to best practice. They yeah, were rapidly. Let's right? just survive. Right. Yeah. And now we got to fix that. Now we got to go back and. And, and put some controls back in place that don't slow our users down, don't don't impede our business because that's critically, we, we gotta keep that moving, but add layers of control so that security can better manage what's really happening. Yeah, you're right, yeah. So, and, and with that note, we're gonna have to take a break uh, and we'll be right back from, uh, when we hear from our sponsors here, so we'll be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. All right, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Timothy Montgomery, and I have today with me a fantastic person, Mr. Samuel Hill, um, and we were before the break. We were talking about high risk factors and access, access to, you know, information for the system, information for the company. That risk factor implying to that type of information, and just how corporations may or may not be taking it so serious. I mean, and you, how many? Can you give me an example? Let's say in your experience for, yep. uh, let's say one of the most. If you had a story of some kind that sure. basically when high risk, how did that play out? And, you know, how did the company that you got, how did it come into play somewhere that really changed the mindset, the culture idea of said corporation? So, yeah. So our, our founder uh, is a recovering CISO is how he described himself. So he, uh, <laughs> he was in the Israeli Navy. He was the first CISO of the Israeli Navy. So he covered all the weapon systems and all the IT systems for the Navy and then transitioned into private industry. Um, leading the security team for a global manufacturing organization. And he had these uh, users who were out of country for him and they were contractors, but they needed to access key pieces in his manufacturing line. Right. And these contractors uh, also worked for his competitors. And so you can think of like that. These people are really untrusted. Not only are they outside your company, they're right. in a they're in parts of the world that you don't natively trust. Right. And they're also working for your competitors. I mean, it's a trifecta of not awesome. Yeah. And <laughs> how do you play in right. that? <laughs> right. So how do you control and put some safeguards around that access? And he likes to tell the story of, you know, there's two types of things in a security incident that'll happen. If you're a CISO and you're preparing for a board meeting, you know, you got a big presentation, you're you're getting all the, the things in in a row and um, if somebody walks in in your preparation and says, boss, we got a problem, you know, this has happened. Yeah. You're going to do one of two things. You're going to either say, that's not a problem. I mean, if, if our ticketing system goes down in IT, like 
we can work around. Like we're yeah. we're not we're not stuck. Right. But yeah. if my manufacturing line goes down, yeah. you drop absolutely everything and you are immediately leading that incident response and getting that thing up yeah. and running as quickly as possible. It's a cash machine in your business. Yeah, it's critical. And so it's critical. Gotta keep it moving. Anything security does to uh, to help secure that has to also account for the criticality of the resource. We can't just block it. We can't just take it offline. We can't just, you know, do things that maybe you might in other scenarios. So that's where we start seeing these companies that like are taking this a bit more seriously because they're realizing, hey, what we've done to date has kept us here, but we it's not going to be what we need to to exist in today's world. Uh, one of our large customers, they make, um, they're a global packaged goods manufacturer. They are, I think, the largest snacking producing company in the world. Wow. And they make these cookies. Yeah. I was just actually eating them last night. They are, they're double stuffed. <laughs> the I don't know why you would buy the single stuffed of these cookies. They have a double stuff, right? You, you yeah. rip them open, you dunk them in some milk, and yeah. it's, they're delicious. If that production shuts down, we're talking about a global catastrophe, Tim. <laughs> we cannot, right? Yeah. Can't can't without happen. these devil stuff cookies. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, right? and, and you can only imagine what the corporation thinks because if that's their money market, their cash cow, you know, they they're stopping everything yeah. for that. So their their risky scenario was they had all these um, the, the people who make the equipment that make the cookies, they had these technicians that would be logging in remotely yeah. to whatever maintain, upgrade, data telemetry, whatever that stuff is. Yeah. And they had very little control over that access. So you mean to tell me somebody who doesn't work for me now can access the thing that keeps global cookie production functioning and <laughs> I have no it. say about it? Like, <laughs> right? So that was their risk. That was their so They realized this and they went on this journey and they, they selected us because we had a, a pretty seamless tool that helped them to get their hands around it. So that to me is where companies are starting to realize the light bulb's coming on. Yeah. Wait, I can do something about this. And they're taking some pretty effective action, in my opinion. Yeah, I think... I think when in my experiences, I've seen where it, it did, it's like once you've explained it to them, yeah, that light bulb, it's like, uh, yeah. really? Yeah, really. I mean, if you guys do some of these, you know, the, when we talk about passwords and the use of passwords, mm -hmm. and then you talk about phishing and the use of how phishing comes into play and the, and the cultural factors that imply to it. I mean, we usually do these little two and a half minute uh, training videos and all it does is right. pitch pitch a small scenario and so um, you know the phishing idea and then the the, comp, the compromising of a, of a password and passwords I don't know if they'll ever go away truly but um, yeah. they're they're there you know and yep. uh, they're yep. they're uh, you know because humans are involved and the necessity for security value um, I think they're going to be there for a very long time it, even though we have multiple layers for authentication yeah. um, I just think that the, the facts are, but you just see that light bulb going on. And, and in my opinion, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, as a security professional, I'm like, you guys didn't, I mean, how long has this been around? I mean, yeah. and then the cultural factors in implying to it, right? So it, 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 it gets me sometimes when I go in and I talk to people and they're like, hey, no, we didn't know we should be doing that. And it, it usually yeah. becomes a gotcha. So I always talk about cultural factors i mean companies trend people you know they run the business so we need yep. to understand people uh and really help them understand how security factors like this could i mean there's a, tr a tendency to say this is going to stop our operations but i always want to incorporate that 
this is going to perfect your operations. So, mm. and you know the difference between a, a you know 100% secure machine and one that isn't is is the brick, and then one yeah, that yeah. seems to be in the wild wild west. I always call it so, right? The WWW. Yeah, yeah. So WWW. Um, yeah. 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 So I mean, I could see how, and and in, in, in your opinion, high risk is. I mean, what is it really? I mean, you're really just you've got you got players who literally just given away everything with mm -hmm. no um, access to all of it. And like uh, your boss was talking about the competitors. I mean, yeah. that's another factor. So, I mean, in your opinion, do you see cultural changes? I mean, do you have I issues with uh, yeah. specific companies? And, and what, do, what do you see? What does your company do to kind of help the trend? Not only tools, but I mean, it, it's the way we talk to them too, right? Right. And I would say too, like a lot of times, the people who actually manage and operate like the critical resource, you know, mm -hmm. if you think if it's a DevOps environment, they're not necessarily like IT or IT security professionals mm -hmm. or the folks that are running, you know, like I said, a manufacturing plant or, uh, you know, water distribution or whatever that is. Yeah. They're, they're not ITIS people. They're not security people. Right. They're not. And right. There's, and that's not, that's not wrong. Right. That's right. obviously the more, I think the more brain power we have looking at problems from different angles, I think the better. Yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. Diversity is key here. So, yeah. And I think like, but there is a, there's almost a language gap. Like, I mean, I, I do not speak another foreign language fluently. I know enough to, to get in trouble in some countries. Yeah, me too. But, <laughs> right. So, but it, there's like this, there's like this gap of understanding in a sense of they don't speak the same language yeah. and they, they look at a they look at a problem and see you know oh this is the issue okay forget manufacturing plan uptime and safety those are the issues right yeah, operational a anything values. right yeah. anything else is really not as important to them where if you talk to the ITIS people they're like oh no security and efficiency like those are things that are much more important to them and yeah. okay approaching the problem in a way that kind of brings both of them to the table is is generally helpful mm -hmm. now. I'll say this to the chagrin of every salesperson ever, but like it actually slows the project down if you do that. But I think it's a really good thing because at the end of the day, the cultural transformation you're talking about is what's needed. I am seeing positive signs though. Clients are asking great questions. Yeah. They're bringing the right people to the table to have the honest conversations. Um, and I think, you know, as the security issues have bubbled up to executive leadership teams, board leadership teams, like those folks that are you know, controlling money. Yeah. Now it's a thing. Now it's okay. We actually have to do something about it. So now the brain power and the workforce can come together and start moving the ball forward a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I with cost factors. I mean, just in the the I guess in the last with COVID coming in and like you mm -hmm. said, the trend to remote working and those things. I mean, they they kind of had to shoot that. I mean, like a slingshot, like a roller right. coaster ride too, and um, it. Well, I could say that with um, with my wife's um, hospital, they were very mm -hmm. effective about being able to bring them home um, and still Good. operate with costs and security values in play. So I thought it was, you know, it's critical for security to be in play, especially with remote services. Right. Um, do you get into companies where, in, I know in the past couple of years, these are cost factors. So yeah. um, does your company get into really having to work through scenarios where these remote services have been cost beneficial and what have been some of the outcomes for some of the things you've seen? Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it too, um, especially in like a critical industry, like manufacturer, like, you know, power, power generation, oil and gas, yeah, utilities, right. 
Right. You think about these sites and the distribution the distribution of their sites. I mean, if you're talking about like an oil rig in the North Atlantic, yeah, you know, it's very let's remote. fly a technician there in the middle of winter and yeah. like have them log into this one specific thing yeah. to whatever. That's highly costly. That that costs an enormous amount of money. Versus, okay, let's enable a secure remote connection for that technician, and then they can you know service twenty five thirty in a day versus you know, 25, 30 in a week. Yeah. And now we've, now we've saved a lot of money and we've made life a lot better and, and they're not having to fly to the North Atlantic in the middle of winter, which from all that I've heard is fairly inhospitable. It's not a super fun place to be. Yeah. All that, you know, so there's this kind of cost savings, right? Yeah. The flight, the flight itself is just expensive, let alone playing the technician to fly there. Right. So I worked for oil and gas industry for a short period of time and we would do remote services. Uh, for real time, and oil, oil, water, gas, mm-hmm. you name it. So, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you understand how distributed it is, right? Like, yeah. it's it, they're everywhere, right? You right. know, got an oil head in, in the middle of you know West Texas somewhere. Yeah, it's Probably everywhere. Middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but so all that to say, like, and then even in, in companies, and obviously there's this debate, you know, return to office, work from home. There's a cultural clash happening, and we'll see where that lands. But um, ultimately it is generally more efficient for people to work from home and they can kind of maintain that productivity, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as long as you can do that in a way that enables them while securing your business, it doesn't create really unnecessary or, you know, outside the box ways of doing work. Yeah. Cause the thing is like users will find a way around, like they will absolutely find a way around yeah. any security control that actually gets in the way of them doing their job. Yeah. And it's not because they're malicious, right? They're just trying to do their job do their, better. They have deadlines. Yeah. They have projects. They, they yeah. have all these things, right? Being just like us. Productive. Right. Yeah. So the best security tools are the ones that users can actually use and also give security some control to. Yeah. And the cultural factor of blending and integrating security measures into something you do every day. Uh, yep. It's definitely a must, and the tool has to work that way too. So, right, yeah, and high risk. I mean, with remote services, um, I don't know what kind of high risk values do you see. Um, I know with, like you said, the gas and oil industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's dynamic. It's a cost saver to get that remote service to be able to point to something. Uh, I know there's always, you know, with with all things, there's always errors and things. Sure, um, but the high risk factor. Um, and how does that trend? So, I mean, with the constant concept of this uh, being remote services. So right. what are some of the high risk factors you, did you see? Well, I think if if you think about oil and gas, I mean, there are a lot of third parties and contractors that yeah. are operating, you know, all at all levels of the stream, like uh, up, mm-hmm. mid, down, distribution, all, all the places. And if you're an oil and gas company, you do not have control of that third party's device, of their endpoint. Right. You can't put agents on it. You can't put any kind of scan. You can't do that kind of stuff because it's not yours. It's, you know, you might be able to ask it, whatever. Right. But odds are you have zero trust in that device. Like it's no, you have no confidence that that device is, you just have to assume it is very unhealthy. And so now that device is connecting into a critical piece that's controlling the flow of wherever, again, wherever it is on the stream of, of stuff. So how do you manage? That's the high risk. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you might say, "Yep, I absolutely approved him. He's he needs to come in and 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 run this change, and it's a totally normal thing that he's doing this." But I can't trust Tim's device. I might trust him. I might like him, but I really can't trust this whole scenario. Yeah. And what do you do in that situation? And a lot of times, unfortunately, they've had to kind of accept it, or they build some workaround. 
or they assume, hey, you know, we'll just give them a VPN tunnel and yeah, VPN you know, is the key. <laughs> well, it's always the an answer. Mean, it's been it's been the answer, right? But yeah. at the end of the day, I we, I would describe VPN as like just a secure tunnel to transmit malware. So great, you. <laughs> yeah. Malware right. gets inside so, the tunnel and it's over. So, right. right. What are you going to do about it? Right. right. So again, the device has to be. So we've got to be able to add some layers to that. And and I would say, you know, it, let's not use VPN anymore if we can avoid it. Let's find better ways to to provide this connection. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the level of risk. And again, every company's going to have to weigh it out in their own risk matrix. They got to look at it and say. Now, if your system is down, like you're going to accept a ton of risk to get that system back up, right? That's just yeah. the reality of it. But the more we can do on the front end when there's not an emergency to provide some connectivity and controls, uh, I think the better off we're going to be when that bad thing does actually happen. Yeah, you're right. I think you are. Um, and yeah, um, so we're going to go ahead and take a break here, Samuel. Um, and uh, we'll be right back hearing from our sponsors. So. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Okay, welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and today I'm here speaking with Mr. Samuel Hill. Um, and we were referring to the high-risk value of things, and in his company, he does do a lot of evaluations for uh, a lot of different parts of the industry and markets uh, out there to really project an idea for uh, encompassing and integrating security. And before the break, we were really referring to some of these ideas of uh, how we integrate this type of security. Um, And, you know, you always hear this, the trending word, zero trust. Uh, I know the government's got a big initiative and... um, you know, just this this concept of securing everything at every level, and I think I'm referring to the OSI layers there, more more or less. And they have these different pillars, and they talk about devices and all all the above. And then and then you got the idea of bring your own device, right, Bod. Um, so, in in your experiences, especially in certain types of industries, um, do you see clashing between the two concepts a lot, or? Are there trends moving in with this zero trust? I mean, what is what it, what plays out the most? Is it that one side or the other? Because like the Internet of, of Things is another yeah. concept, especially with utilities coming into play. And so, right. uh, my friend Chris Gorog, he he runs a business called BlockFrame, and it does blockchain. So hmm. we do heavy things in blockchain development. So, um, so I mean, these are these are trendy tech techy words coming. So yeah. I mean, where's where's the future of this concept going? So. I like to think of I like to think of zero trust in I like to make it hopefully a little bit more simple because it's such a buzzword, right? Everybody's yeah. I've walked around like trade shows and is like just taking a picture of every booth that says zero trust in it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it is one of those things where this just seems to be a buzzword now. So, and I think that's like you know, okay, cool, zero trust. I I think, but I think all of us can get behind the concepts of it. And really, I like. I mean, I it's really 
conceptually very simple. I mean, it's hard to implement, hard to do, mm-hmm. but conceptually simple, right? Let's let's evaluate and authorize everyone who's connecting, mm-hmm. right? Let's limit what they can connect to to only what's necessary. And then let's let's keep an eye on it. Let's monitor it. Like those kind of three statements, like authorize, you know, limit and monitor. Like it's kind of simple conceptually. Again, right. not implementation wise. I'm not. Please don't mishear me. Yeah. But but if we break it down to that level, yeah. I think we all agree on that. Like I think everyone would, as a security professional, would say. Yeah, absolutely. That's the level of control that I would I would actually want. Right. Um, and especially when you combine that with you know something that does not make that security leader feel comfortable in general. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're not comfortable with it, then start at the basics. Okay, how do we authorize? How do we limit? And how do we monitor? Mm-hmm. Those are the things that you can begin asking questions, and it might guide your strategy about how you better manage it. So it is encouraging to see you know CISA putting out their zero trust maturity model things and kind of moving forward. The idea conceptually, um, as with anything coming out of you know CISA or any other government agencies, it'll all depend upon um, you know the carrot and the stick. How do you best you know encourage and enforce? Yeah. Those are the questions that I have. How yeah. flexible will it be, really? Because if you say, "Hey, we have to do this today," well, three months from now, that might actually be the worst thing you could possibly be doing in the cyberspace. So, no, you're right. those are the questions I always have. Yeah, the maturity level of uh, it's methodical, right? So mm-hmm. as this idea of zero trust comes out, so I actually had a, a person on the show that was talking about actually encrypting the file itself, the transport itself, different layers making encryption possible, not only for the device, but every other layer and using zero trust as a, a complementer to the such, such things mm. to integrate it into security, but then you get these, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm constantly using my phone to do the multi-factor mm-hmm. access. Now, is that truly secure anymore? I mean, the concept, and, and you're right. So three months down the road, are we going to have another issue? Um, right. Yeah, I mean, so how does that lower, like, the concept of high risk? I mean, does that really imply where we end up with another issue? So how does that, how does that function? So if we're looking at like a high risk scenario and the reason it's risky, I would argue, is because the security team doesn't have the level of detail or control yeah. that they might want. Um, otherwise, it's not as risky. Like, great, okay, cool. We can enable this connection. We've got all these things in place. I mean, if you're thinking about it, like uh, a person who uses multi-factor authentication from a corporate domain machine that's connecting to ServiceNow, mm. right? That's not super risky. Right. I mean, really, it's not like that's not going to put put a bee in the bonnet of most CISOs. Maybe it does. Who knows? Maybe there's specific mitigating things that are happening there. But, you know, an external contractor who is on a temporary basis using God knows what machine from who knows where they are in the world. connecting right. Connecting to your DevOps environment. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that's something that might keep a CISO up at night. Um, To 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 borrow a well used phrase, what keeps you up at night? so, so the reason that's risky is because they don't have the level of control that they probably would want mm-hmm. to better manage that situation. And so that's the way I look at it. I think zero trust can be helpful because it might give you a path towards identifying where are the controls that I need? What what are the, what am I lacking? What, are the, what is the team lacking or tools and process? What are those things that are missing that I need to have better control over the scenario so that the risk can come down? So I don't think of it necessarily as like a, um, a a real direct thing. It's more of like a, 
can help us guide the decision-making process in some ways to best strategize. Because obviously, no one's budget is unlimited, right? right. None of us have. Yeah. So you got to pick where can I make the most impact yeah. in a short period of time. Yeah, and normally, and you trend that over a few years because it's not like we can go ahead and just go to the money tree and pluck it all yeah. off and use it, right? So right. Yeah, usually you have to trend this, so it means the projects will trend uh, implying in phases, um, which I think right. the way the government, uh, CISA, it's, they actually, that is their motto. They, they really want to see phases of this approach. They want to see where people are already. Um, mm -hmm. Does your company actually deploy some of these factors now, or is, it, is there a plan to do things like this? I mean, yeah, we can support of many of the pillars in the CISA framework, and we have some documentation on our website that kind of points to some of that. Um, it, obviously, any security tool that says that they are the comprehensive solution to all of the things, they're, they're lying, we can help you with a great portion of them. And obviously, in, title, in an entire security strategy, you'll be able to start achieving that. Um, but it is encouraging. And the director Easterly just recently was talking about we want to help kind of organizations from like the smaller, medium size that may not have, mm -hmm. you know, great cybersecurity budgets. Uh, we want to help them. We want to help them also you know, keep pace because that's a significant thing. Yeah. I don't know, you, you may have read the, um, they did a profile on like the Walmart Cybersecurity Operations Command. Yeah. yeah. It was just a fascinating read. I mean, just the level of support they can provide with the resources of, you know, a global company like Walmart. I'm like, that's fantastic. But I'm like, don't try and emulate that. Like no small company can emulate oh, yeah, all yeah. the skill sets that they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for smaller companies to, to trend to it. I know that uh, you know there are certain um, state level events, mm -hmm. things that resources that small companies within those states can they'll support, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, I spent a, a long stint in, in the National Guard, and it was amazing to me now mm -hmm. how when breaches do occur, you can actually call the National Guard in the state mm -hmm. uh, to you know gain support, especially if you are uh, a part of the business associations here, the small business right. associations, they've applied certain resources and funding in this state and with the state of Colorado to mm -hmm. actually support certain things for small businesses that involve the National Guard out of all people. You know, and they, yeah. they've got a good community and it, it, they've got a good operation base, of course. And, and this would be considered, you know, some type of crisis measure. So I could see how it implies to it. So, um, you know, and I don't, in, in consideration for high risk factors here, um, does your company actually do, um, I guess, imply certain measures like that for small businesses? And how does that trend in small businesses for you and your company? Yeah, so we typically see uh, companies that have a smaller size and scope. They're usually, um, it's almost like the, some of them, they know exactly where to start. Some of them know exactly what they need to accomplish. Others are I have this nagging thing in the pit of my stomach around this specific area. Let's let's think this through together. Let's come up with a plan to make it better. Yeah. Um, that's typically what we have found. Uh, but a lot of them are, you know, again, they're all understaffed. I mean, every cyber team is understaffed. Yeah, they're all, you know, seems like under budget. Yeah. 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 But it's, so it's a matter of what can you do as a force multiplier yes. to augment what's happening there. And so that, we have had quite a number of small businesses that are turning to us to say, hey, we need to deploy some of this to kind of take care of these really big crazy things yeah. so that, that we can be in a steady state there and then um, and keep it moving. Awesome, yeah. 
Well, that's good. I mean, it sounds like your company's trying to cover all the angles, integrate as much as possible. Cultural factors yep. are always, you know, a measure to imply. High risk values. Yep. It's amazing to see still today what high risk is still. Same. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy to say that when we've been at this for decades now and it seems like, I don't know. I always think that the, just when you think the culture's trending, which it is, it's just slower yep. pace, I think. And business grows, so... Anyway, so any last comments? We're going to end here. Um, anything for your company that you want to say about it? Yeah, I appreciated having the opportunity to chat, Tim. It's been a really fun conversation. I think that there are a lot of considerations that cyber leaders are, are having to evaluate today. Um, and it's it, a lot of them are competing values in some ways. Like A lot of times they're making budget decisions or staff decisions based off of, you know, the best available information in the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I think I would say is, you know, if you're a cyber leader in the space, one, thank you. Thank you for staying in the fight. Thank you for continuing to do what you do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, take care of yourself. <laughs> Whatever that <laughs> care, self-care yeah. thing for Keep you moving, is, like, right. please, yeah, please do it. Um, we need you to remain. We need you to help inspire the next generation of cybersecurity leaders who are coming up and coming through the ranks. And, um, you know, I would also say, you know, you're right. We have been doing this a long time. I mean, how long has the RSA conference been going on and, and how many show floors you walk around there and get pitched the latest trend of something or other? Yeah. Um, don't be afraid to think outside of the box. You know, oh, yeah. if, if a problem looks like, oh, I should solve this with this tool, don't be afraid to also think, you know, what else is new and, and, fre and weird and exciting or different or let your own thinking and your own paradigms be challenged because um, that's what our cyber adversaries, the cyber criminals are doing. They're not looking at it in a static, direct way, and they're not looking at it from a programmatic or, or pro 